0: Well, Marcus, you had mentioned the Sutra. Sutta. Um, or shall we begin with that? I'll give you the first shot at it. What's your question? Uh, well, so
1: so it uh, starts talking about mindfulness of breathing. And the first okay. thing it talks about is, you know, the long breath and the short breath. And mm-hmm. discerning whether one is breathing long or short so i guess i guess the first question for me is i've i've definitely practiced the long breathing but i wondered like what is sort of the utility or purpose of the short breathing or are okay. are they like somewhat different uh indications for each of both those both
0: of them are conscious and both of them are controlled breathing intentionally so mm-hmm. uh and that you can say that the long breath is more relaxing and more of the show and occasionally the short breath has some extraordinarily good value
1: Mm -hmm.
0: one of them would times with the short breath would be uh when the mind is drowsy or when it's racing or when you're in not such a good state of any kind then you could use the the short breath um, because when you're doing the short breath, you don't have much time to have a pity party (laughs) or to have misery thoughts. That the short breath actually takes the time to keep the mind focused on the breathing. In, out, in, out, in, out, like that. It's also... Um, An energizing breath It's not a shallow breath Because it's short That's short in duration Okay But it's short intensely Like panting When you're running up a hill And you get out of breath The body will go into that kind of breathing on its own And then we try to stop it from doing that We don't like that breath We call it catching the breath when you can stop it from pounding, you know, in, out, in, out, heaving for air. All right. That's the short breath. Mm -hmm. And that we can practice that to get the same benefits that it is, in fact, life-saving. It will wake you up. Get you vibrantly alive, energized. But we don't stay on it for a long time. We would go back to the long breath. Now this was understood and well known. And the Anapanasati Sutta has got a whole lot of ground to cover. And so it doesn't go into those kind of details. But it does list them as separate kinds of breathing. Mm -hmm. With the understanding of. The third step of anapanasati, which is understanding and knowing the body. And in here is the first time that the phrase, thus one trains oneself, which I translate into, these are skills to be developed. That from time to time you've already been doing long breathing, and from time to time you've been do- already doing short breathing. The stuff happens naturally, as well as intentionally. But understanding the body is something that a little child has way too much of. When we're learning to walk, we fall down and we don't like it and we cry and all of that kind of stuff. And pretty soon, especially by the time we get to be teenagers, the body is dirty and ugly and all of that kind of stuff or at least it needs to be trained in sports so that it can do what we hope it'll do. And so um, we lose track of being in the body as a friend. And so what step three is, is to really get in touch with the body, find where your tensions are, find where your pains are, Uh, get in touch with them learn to work with them, be happy with them. So that we now are getting ready to do step four, which is also a training is just to actually relax. To become completely passive at ease with ourselves. And we're going to do that. Guess what? With all four aspects of the Satipatthana. Isn't that interesting? The whole point. Of um, let us say unifying and then. Uh, liberating the mind is basically a kind of relaxation. That we it from all of the rules and all the shoulds and all of the goals and all the judgments make it liberated. Which is kind of a relaxed state of the mind. Then we also learn to do that with the feelings by learning the conditioning qualities of the feelings. And know that the mind conditions the feelings and the feelings condition the mind. And so now we've actually talked about those parts of the Anapanasati that work together at the end, where the mind's relaxed, the feelings are relaxed, the body's relaxed, and therefore the contents of the mind are all relaxed. And in that case, the relaxation is the relinquishment. just let it all go. Or in some cases in the US, they call it let it all hang out. So in this way, the the Anapanasati practice is quite integrated. And it's handy enough to think of the body in these uh, various characteristics of what's called the Satyapatana. But that um, the Satyapatana, the four foundations, actually go way back into history of humans. That we saw things as solid, we saw things as liquid, we saw things as fire, we saw things as gases and airs and smokes and clouds and all of that kind of stuff. And so it's quite natural for the Buddha then to take those four natural elements that are on the outside because that's what everybody is doing. We are taught from childhood, probably from very primitive times, to pay attention to outside things. The Buddha comes along and says, no, we're going to start paying attention to the inside too. And so that's where the Anapanasati is, is that it's doing it on the inside. And that in the Satipatthana Sutta, it says both internally and externally. And so we practice it both ways, but we're often not paying much attention to the outside. We pay attention to the inside. Uh, so we start paying attention to the inside as practitioners. But then sometimes we get too enamored with that. And we have to recognize, no, there's a balance here. We've got to get them uh where we're paying attention to both the inside and the outside. And so, this in fact is what uh, we could say uh, in the half-sutta where Ananda asked the Buddha, uh, saying that Sariputta told me that um, half of the Dhamma is friendship. And the Buddha says, no, it's the whole thing. First, we become friends on the inside. Then we become friends on the outside. And we become friends on the inside with what's on the inside, warts and all. And then we become friends on the outside with what's on the outside, warts and all. That's the secret, is, is to accept ourselves the way that we are, because then we can look at the way things are right now. And have choices about it. If we don't want to be that kind of person. Then whenever it comes up. We don't want to look at Oh no that's not there. I'm not that person. And so. Uh, this is actually the practice then. Is to learn to be friends. With both the inside and the outside. And that. The, the key ingredient on that by the way. Is the part about gladdening the mind. Brightening the mind. Which also fits in with so many of the other suttas about changing the thoughts from unwholesome to wholesome thoughts. To don't have unwholesome thoughts about your warts. (laughs) Have wholesome thoughts of, oh yeah, I saw the mind wander away. Oh yeah, I see myself getting stuck in hating that old person. Judging them. And so, uh, this is the context. And you ask first off about the short breath. Sometimes we get into that hatred, and we need that short breath, just to get off, get it out of our mind. Whatever it is, it's really strongly, strongly stuck in there. Doing short breathing will, for at least during the time of the short breathing, put an end to those thoughts. So, one thing that we can begin to talk about is is the beginning of the sutta, of how profound it is, that this sutta was announced in advance, and then the word spread, so that it had a huge, huge audience. Did you remember reading that part of the sutta? No, I haven't
1: gotten to all of it. Pardon? I haven't gotten to all of it
0: oh okay well this is at the very beginning and most mm-hmm. people read things from the beginning to the end but not all the time yeah <laughs> not always and so uh the beginning of the sutta talks about it in the way that this is going to be auspicious and that it talks about the various teachers this is where we can find where all of the good teachers are and how many students they have with each one of them. They all gather together. And then the Buddha talks about what kind of people they're here, talking about the nobles. Then he talks about people doing uh, Vipassana meditation. or no, um, sorry, not that, Uh, metta meditations and some people practicing jhanas. And he wants them to listen to him about Anapanasati because it is of great fruit and great benefit. And basically what we can glean from that is a lot of people came to the Buddha continuing to practice what they had already been practicing. And the Buddha wants them to change that and start practicing differently with Anapanasati um it, the way that they these other practices were done generally have some downfalls to them that uh, one of the things about the jhanas and the, the metta meditation uh, folks is is that they do have the removal of the hindrances they have to get those hindrances out of the mind Uh, And so in that regard, these guys were already practicing that part of it correctly because that's a major issue. And it seems like here in Western Buddhism, getting the mind free from the hindrances is not a big deal at all. Just note. Just note or just watch or just be choicelessly aware of all of that garbage that you've got there. And this is where we learned that, oh no, within the practice of the Buddha here in the Anapanasati Sutta, as well as some of the other suttas, getting the hindrances out of the mind is of an importance. And that we can use the body, we can use the feelings, we can use the states of mind that we have, and the examinations of the mind, etc., in order to remove the hindrances, because how we feel right now, and how we uh, experience the body right now, and what the mind is, uh, the states that the mind is in right now, is the way to be free from those hindrances, by paying attention to what's going on right now, rather than thinking about someplace else some other time which is what we normally do. And and we can think of that kind of stuff as conceptual thought. And so we now will look at conceptualizing thought as potentially, if not already downright hindering us from being in a good state. But being happy and go lucky and everything is okay right now is the easy way out of, all of the problems of life and that the interesting part is is that various places sprinkled throughout the anapanasati sutta are elements that are known to be the elements of the first jhana and how to get them as also the eightfold noble path that the eightfold noble path and anapanasati and the first jhana are all mixed together right there in the first jhana if you know what you're looking for by gladdening the mind we become free from the hindrances by bringing on sukha and then pity these are jhana factors of the first jhana and then applying this over and over again and training ourselves into the sukha training ourselves into gladdening the mind This is the applied and sustained thought of the first jhana. And then the the additional ingredient is the relaxation of the body. So with the body relaxed. We feel energized and safe, secure, satisfied. And then we feel successful. That's the first jhana factors, and that's all that's built into the practice of Anapanasati in order for, as Bhikkhu Buddhadasa puts it, getting the mind fit for work. Getting the mind fit for work would mean t- taking the training harnesses off or taking the burdens off, throwing the burdens down to get ready for Doing something that we need to do, which is take a really good look at what's going on. Now, the interesting part about that is, is that if we have the hindrances at bay, if the hindrances are, are away, if the unwholesome thoughts are down, then that means that what we're going to be paying attention to is has two full quality. One is that it's real, and number two is, is that it's wholesome. And so this is what we're going to do with the uh, with the rest of the anapanasati. Once we get the body, the feelings, and the mental states ready to go, now we're going to be start watching the flow, the flux, the nature, watching the cycles. This, you know, the starts and the middles and the ends of things that are happening fast or slow and up and down and whatever like that. Because normally the mind is in, caught in a cycle, in the cycle, not liking how the cycle is going either now or dreading how it's about to go. But with wisdom, we can understand these cycles by stepping back from them. The experience of watching a Ferris wheel go around is a whole lot different from sitting in a box and not knowing what's happening. Which is how most people live their lives, then it goes up and down and it starts and it wiggles and then they're all terrified and it just goes around. But if they know that they're on a Ferris wheel. Then life is a whole lot easier. And so this is how we uh, use Anapanasati in order to gain the freedom to actually let things go, to let the mind be liberated, to let the feelings be soft and gentle, sukha, or even upeka, and let the body be relaxed. And let, so this is the actual end of the Anapanasati, which we're actually talking about step four, step uh, uh, 8, step 13, and step 16. There's step 12 and step 16, the top ends of each one of these things. That, in fact, if you look at it from the point of the Satipatthana, uh, step 1 and 2 of Anapanasati very much coincide with step 5 and 6, and also step 9 and 10. That they come in pairs like that. So you have sort of the beginner and then the, uh, the middle of it in that, in that way. And so it's, it all kinds of fits together. But the danger is, is that because it's introduced in the order of the Satyapathana, people think that that's the actual order that it should be practiced, which is not the case. Then, in fact, we can take guidance from the Eightfold Noble Path from that because that's actually what we're intended to do, that we, by doing anapanasati, we fulfill both the uh, four foundations of mindfulness and also the Eightfold Noble Path. That's what we mean by the fulfillment of the Eightfold Noble Path is actually the seven factors of enlightenment. The Sambojana is the factors of enlightenment to where the Eightfold Noble Path is the method or the skills that you need. So in the beginning, we're on the path, and then the path itself item by item becomes the factor of the enlightenment, or the awakening. And so that's how the sutta is, uh, is laid out, that the sutta is of great fruit. The Anapanasati, which you use the word mindfulness, normally we go back to anapana sati because sati has a different quality than we normally think of as mindfulness basically sati is just to wake up to come back to the immediate moment that is hard to watch your breath if you don't remember to watch your breath so remembering to be here now remembering to watch the breath that's what we really mean by sati And yet it's been translated commonly as mindfulness. And I'm not even sure what mindfulness is because I never heard of the word until you get it in (laughs) in Buddhism. So it's kind of a, a manufactured or made up word. And in fact, I would think that mindfulness would have the quality of looking or investigating anyway. So Sati would be remembering to be mindful. And so uh, the mindfulness or the Sati and right investigation and then right effort can be seen right there in the beginning several places in the Anapanasati Sutta. The number one place that it's fine is at step nine and step 10, when you investigate the mind and then gladden the mind. Those two steps are closely embedded uh, there, but we can also see that that applies to the breath also. In the sense of remembering to take a deep breath and then taking the deep breath, taking the effort to do it and then experiencing that deep breath. And so this is also a way of looking at uh, each of the steps of Anapanasati through the lens of the Eightfold Noble Path. And then with the fourth item of the Eightfold Noble Path, as we remember, wake up to seeing what's going on and then making the change. And we do that over and over and over and over again, time after time, getting into uh, a new habit of it that begins to build up the, the actual kind of a feeling of, I can do this, I can remember to do this, and it feels good, I like it, and it feels good and comfortable, and I can do this. And that's where we actually then will bring on that deeper satisfaction and the deeper relaxation is the feeling that yes, we can do this. And it also brings on a kind of a wow feeling of success. And that's where the pity comes in, that feeling of success that we get by being able to practice getting the mind free from hindrances over and over and over again, rather than letting the mind grow wild. So, that's the basic introduction to Anapanasati. Do you have any questions about this? Mm,
1: yeah, so um, <clears throat> so so step three step three is uh, you know concerning the body in terms of noticing what's going on in the body, any tensions, things like that, and relaxing those. So,
0: yes that's where by the mm-hmm. way this is where Gowanka retreat center uh system ends it's step three they keep doing body scanning and body scanning and body scanning and they mm-hmm. can't get out of it <laughs> and it's also systematic in the sutta you notice that it doesn't say anything about it having to be systematic but whether that we experience it and the way to do that is in other suttas found in under the title one by one as they occur, whatever is happening to the body. Pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. Something new comes up. Look at it. Be there for anything that happens, and when it does, you got it. To where uh, many people practice the, the scanning method, they already know their knees are hurting, but they can't look at their knees. And so they keep going around like this and say, oh, I don't want to bring my knees, no, 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 go down and down, you know, like that. To where in the Anapanasati Sutta, it has the quality of being comfortable. So don't put your body in a state where it's uncomfortable because then you've got to pay attention to your discomfort. Because if you're uncomfortable, you're unsatisfied. And the whole practice is to get the mind satisfied again. And so that's about the step three is is that whatever is happening in the body that's going to get you dissatisfied, immediately pay attention to that. Don't put it off while you're doing something else and eventually get down to it. That's the systematic approach.
1: So should one kind of be aware of the whole body as they breathe in that step? or 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 can one like work don't from place
0: don't to set, place? don't set a bunch of great, big, high quality, unreachable goals for yourself That that's the big danger of doing it that way is that you set goals of how it's supposed to be like when you do it right. Okay, and judging yourself like that is not the right way to do it. The right way to do it is, is to just one by one as they occur, pay attention to them and let that skill grow that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Setting goals, because the goal settings then is going to make you feel bad because you can't make up with the goals that you set. The answer here is as always, let's stop with the goal setting cause the goal setting cause unwholesome thoughts. Let's keep the thoughts wholesome. Let's keep the thoughts to the point of that whatever goals there were to met be met, I just met it. I just met all the, any goal that needed to be done, I just did it. I've gotten the job well done. And now I can relax with the job well done. Remembering that the job is already done It's hard work for these Western people. Hard to remember that the job has already been done, that there's nothing to do, except relax and celebrate that the job is finished. What was the job to do? Getting the hindrances out of the mind. Getting those rules out. And getting any thoughts of not liking. And so there's a whole long list of things like that. Like sometimes students can hear their heartbeat. Or they want to know all about it. And then it comes down to is they don't like it. Ah, oh, now that you don't like it, that's the issue is whether you like it or not, not whether you can hear your heartbeat or not. How about facial tension? Well, it has not to do with whether you've got face tension or not. Is how do you like it? Are you dissatisfied with it? There's your dukkha right there. So whatever you're just dissatisfied and setting a rule or a goal for yourself, like I'm supposed to be able to do this with the body and I can't do it yet, that's dissatisfaction instead of being very happy with the way that you're doing it right now. So, (laughs) no need to body scan. Just enjoy watching the body. Be there with it. Whatever it has to say, pay attention. Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. So, another thing I wanted to uh, uh, talk about is in terms of thoughts. So, There's obviously sort of the verbal thoughts or the mental talk, but I was wondering, in terms of like, you know, we have we have some sort of images in our mind. Generally, like, we have some sort of image of the body, in terms of like where the parts of our body are and stuff like that. So, do we eventually like also try to like stop? that kind of fabrication or that kind of thought.
0: Actually, do change it. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that there's a goal other than whenever you're thinking about something that's not here right now. So watching how your hand moves and be at marvel of how the hand is actually able to move like that. And I'm not even thinking about the hand moving, but I can watch it as it moves around. That's being in the here now, that's quite wholesome. Experience the new body through the internal proprioceptic system is a marvelous thing to do. Remembering the argument you had with Aunt Susie yesterday, not so much.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I guess we sort of use the input from the proprioceptive system to form sort of an image of the body and sometimes it can uh, you know if contribute you do, to tension
0: if you do make mental images which means visualizations of the proprioceptive system there's no law against doing that but be aware that that's what you're doing and then you can take that mental image that you're making Make it shine, make it golden, make it anything you want to do, so long as you know that that's what you are doing. To take control over things, to recognize that you do create your own reality. The body as the body, the way that the body is, is often different from the way that people think of their bodies. And the body that they actually live with is the body that they think that they've got rather than the one that actually Uh, exist in reality, sometimes with great surprises. (laughs) (laughs) And so yeah, the reality is let's see how close to reality we can be. Knowing that that reality in and of itself is quite magnificent. It's quite profoundly beautiful. Depending upon the way that we look at it, of course. Because we create the beauty. But paying attention to reality. um, Is much closer, let us say it this way, that the further away a person is from reality, the more likely they are to experience dukkha. The closer to reality that you have when you perceive the way things really are because you're looking for things the way that they really are, rather than through the lens of. um, instincts, tribalism, um, uh, confirmation bias, prejudice, any of that kind of stuff, that means then that we're far away from reality and that we're more than likely going to either experience dukkha or cause someone else to experience dukkha, more than likely both but when we're really friendly that means that we're willing to accept reality actually the way that it is it's good enough warts and all yeah I don't really have a very high class view of human beings because I accept them warts and all and wow humans are covered with mental warts (laughs) 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 then in fact a wart the word wart is probably a good word for the translation of the word asaba in Pali. Which is also translated as cankers and sometimes you can think of them as pimples, warts, um, molds, uh, ingrown toenails, hairs, all of that kind of stuff that the body keeps coming up with. And we need to clean that stuff right out of the mind. On a regular basis. And this is what Anapanasati is actually for doing. Let's go in there and gladden the mind. Take a look at what's going on. And throw that stuff out. And come into some happy state. Some state where we can be satisfied. And safe. And secure. And comfortable. And that's built right there into the Anapanasati Sutra, but if you don't know what you're looking for, you won't see that stuff. We're talking about now uh, step five, six, seven, and eight, the Vedana, that you can actually talk yourself into with step 10 of gladdening the mind. You can talk yourself into feeling safe and secure, especially if the body is already in reality safe and secure, safe and secure and comfortable body, safe and secure, comfortable thoughts, and pretty soon we have safe and secure, comfortable feelings. Not so hard to do, huh? Just have to keep repeating it over and over and over again. So you got more questions
1: mm. okay, so um the steps five, six, and uh, uh, <clears throat> so steps five and six would uh, correspond to the polywords. words. Uh, I forgot what they were exactly.
0: Pitisuka.
1: Piti and Suka, right. So suka is the number
0: six. Actually the word suka oh I is see. a common is a common phrase in the Pali. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in this case they're breaking it out, I guess, in order to make up for <laughs> 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 but they're often used together as one word, Pittisuka. But the pity quality of it has to do with that hot, damn, bang, wow, got it kind of feeling, an experience of championship. Mm-hmm. And sukha is just the actual opposite of dukkha, mm-hmm. which is being satisfied. Safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. hmm because if you're not safe, you've got Dukkha. If you're not secure, you've got Dukkha. If you're not comfortable, you've got Dukkha. So if you can get those three things in Sukkha, or uh, satisfaction, is all we need. And we can talk ourselves into that, too.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The so people mm-hmm. I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: And so eight is basically about calming the feelings. Or,
0: sorry, what about calming feelings?
1: Uh, so is the uh, is the number eight about like calming feelings? Or,
0: actually, it, it uses the word conditioners. Mhm. Mhm. And what it's talking about is is the the interrelationship between the body, the feelings, and the mind which we've already been talking about. So we calm the conditioners, Mm -hmm. which means that we calm the causes, which calms the effects, and it kind of gets everything sort of calmed down that way. Mm -hmm. But we have to experience those things. You see how the mind conditions the body and how the body conditions the feelings, how the feelings condition the mind, et cetera, like that. They're all three of them. Interrelated with each other. If you feel sick, actually, sorry, if the body is sick, then we normally feel sick. We don't have to. If we can break that conditioning so that the body is sick, yeah, hot dog, the body is sick, I don't have to do anything. I can just lay here in bed and just feel wonderful. So, that's all there is to it.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Just calming new bodily conditioners. So, you got another question?
1: Yeah, perhaps one more. So, in terms of of the mechanics of breathing, I've noticed that uh, one of the issues I tend to have is, like the habitual tensions that the body has for example i tend to have quite a bit in the neck i've noticed that whenever i breathe in there's like a very habitual sort of tensing of certain muscles when i do that and i'm having a bit mm-hmm. of trouble like on uncoupling that or like training myself to breathe in a different way okay
0: well it will take a few new muscles, I mean, um, most people say that they do it too strong for too long a period of time, and then they get tired. Mm -hmm. Okay, Look for a long, gentle, enjoyable breath. One that does not tire you out or cause the body to, um, let us say, do uh, chest exercises beyond its capacity. And guess what? You keep doing this and pretty soon you can you can do it longer and easier because the muscles are actually developing in a way that they've never had developed when you're breathing shallowly. That's one of the reasons why people do not like the, um, the runner's breath. Where the body is heaving in and out is because those muscles are not used to doing that and they don't like it. But you can train yourself for doing that. People who do deep diving and swimming and all kinds of things like that are trained. They train their muscles and so they can handle things. There's a secret too, and that is there's others like tuba players. are those great big majestic horns that they have in uh, 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 in the Tibetan system and the aborigines have a didgeridoo and those all of those big machines help get that muscle flowing going kind of thing and so yeah doing some exercises with your lungs is good but if you get to the point of not liking it look at that and recognize that you're doing this for pleasure, not for punishment. And it it is a training. To get to understand the body. And the body is going to make some changes. So does that answer that question?
1: Yeah, I guess. So basically, the goal is to be well, I mean, not the goal, but the purpose is being gentle with the breath rather than like, 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 because I noticed that, like, especially when I started with the deep breathing, there's, there's, uh, there's been sort of this element of forcefulness to it mm-hmm. because right. it's like Don't something force. I'm unused to. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, then I'm sometimes I've felt like, well, when I'm when I'm sort of being relaxed, like I'd noticed that my breath would tend to get shallow, and then I would right. i like, are to- going to
0: keep it full, but not uh, forced. Not let it go shallow.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the part I've had some difficulty with.
0: No, it's not hard. Just play with it. Experiment. Watch what's going on. All of them feelings that you're having are optional. Recognize that. You don't have to feel bad. This is a toy to play with. (laughs) Remember the teaching the Buddha is good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end. So don't force it. Or have bad feelings about it, because it's. The right way to practice is easy. I've noticed it sort of depends on posture.
1: Like in some postures, it's easier to breathe in a relaxed way, deeply.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, so experiment with that. Find a good posture for yourself. Generally, sitting upright is good. Bent over, not so much.
1: Yeah, I've noticed like when reclined, it's like it's more difficult to breathe deeply or like at least to do so in a relaxed way versus whereas when I'm upright, it's like um, it's like sort of the in-breath happens naturally in a relaxed way. Mm-hmm. Whereas in some other positions, it's felt sort of like I have to work to do that.
0: All right. Oh, well, notice the difference and notice the fact that the, the feeling of it being work is just a mental attitude that you have and that you can change your posture, you can change the situation, and you can change the way that you feel because you can change your attitude. That's ultimately what we're doing, is changing your attitude about what we're doing. All right, well... Uh I'll play around with it. (laughs) Excellent. All right, Marcus, we'll see you later. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.